Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. We have a domestic abuse survivor sharing her story today. Before we get to that, many of you have gone to Amazon and purchased my new book, Trauma Mama Husband Drama. It takes women through every single scenario that I could think of when dealing with this type of abuse where you have emotional abuse, psychological abuse, and sexual coercion. The sexual coercion piece is the pornography piece. You are having sex with someone who has not allowed you to give your full consent because they haven't given you all the information that you need. You think you're in a relationship with someone who is faithful to you, and they're not. And so you're not able to give your consent. So that is the sexual coercion piece. That is explained as well. At the back of the book, there are a lot of infographics that are super helpful. So if you're trying to teach like clergy or therapists or other people about this type of abuse and it's just not going well and they're not going to read that big why does he do that by Lundy Bancroft or they're not willing to read the verbally abusive relationship which are two books that they should definitely have everybody read in high school. It should be required reading. If you have not read either of those two books please make sure that you read those like ASAP. They're really important. But most of the time, if you go to clergy and you hand them a big giant book, they're going to be like, oh, I'm not going to read this. But Trauma Mama Husband Drama is a picture book for adults. It's an extremely quick read and the infographics at the back are visual. So they explain really complex concepts very simply in a very quick way. The book also is super helpful for women who you find out are they're going through it. They need support right away. And that book will validate them and help them know what steps to take. Of course, the checklist, which has been around forever, you can get that at btr.org backslash checklist is also an excellent way to go. There's a small synopsis of that in the book, but the best one to get is our PDF that you can download when you join our community at the bottom of our website. So if you go to our website, btr.org, if you go down to the bottom and you will get a PDF copy in your email, which is always helpful. But back to Trauma Mama. It's an amazing book. You can get it on Kindle, but of course the paperback version is better for a gift or to give away. When you want to purchase your copy, you can either do it through the books page at BTR. That's btr.org backslash books, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama on Amazon. When you purchase the book, after you receive it and you're so inclined, will you please give it a five-star review on Amazon? Every single one of your reviews helps isolated women find it. We want this to be one of the books that people find right away rather than, you know, the five love languages or other books that lead them down the wrong path for a while and they don't get to safety as soon as possible. So your reviews help a ton. I appreciate all the reviews you give on this podcast and those on the book will help too. So thank you. I just want to give a shout out to all of you Betrayal Trauma Recovery group members who have joined. We are so grateful for you. Our coaches meet with you every day or they can meet with you every day. And we're so glad that you're part of BTR. When you join, there are multiple sessions a day in your time zone. Because there are so many sessions, Whenever you're feeling a little triggered or whenever some abuse episode happens, when you find out the gaslighting has been happening, you can get on a session very, very soon, usually within a few hours. Talk to our professional coaches, talk to women who understand it, because they get it immediately. You don't have to go through like, does this person get it? Um, is this going to be safe? We have set it up that way so that it can be safe from the get-go, because every victim of this type of abuse needs immediate like safe space 
and Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group is that place. So please go to btr.org, join our support group, and we hope to see you in a session today. Okay, now to today's guest. I have a woman on today's episode named Stevie Croissant. She is the founder of We Are Her. At We Are Her, she helps trauma survivors share their stories. We Are Her is a nonprofit that helps cultivate a community of survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault by inspiring every survivor to become healed, empowered, and restored. When she's not building her survivor support network, she's usually spending time with her frisbee-catching border collie, Quinn. Welcome, Stevie. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start by talking about you sharing your own story. How has sharing your story helped you to heal? When I first left my abuser, sharing my story was one of the first things I did. I have always been a writer. That's kind of been my profession as well. And so when I was with him, he took my voice away in more ways than one. And one of those was that he would constantly criticize my writing and wouldn't let me keep journals. And so writing for me was super important. And so when I left that relationship, I turned to writing and sharing my story as a way to start healing and to get my power and my voice back. And so it was really important for me to have my story written out in journal form, just so I could really validate what happened to me and remember, these are the details. This is actually what happened and not be kind of persuaded and manipulated by the after effects of gaslighting. And also I joined a survivor speakers bureau and that was so life-changing for me. I think along with sharing my story, I was able to do it in a speakers bureau with other survivors. So I instantly felt validated and supported and felt very empowered. I think doing that was one of the very first times in my life I remember feeling empowered. It's really interesting when you start talking about domestic violence, a lot of people assume that it has to involve a physical violent act. And that's actually not the case. Domestic abuse and domestic violence can be used interchangeably, and someone can be an emotionally violent abuser without ever laying a finger on their victim. And so I frequently say domestic abuse rather than domestic violence, just so that people who haven't been hit or punched don't think, oh, this isn't for me because I haven't been physically harmed. And also, a lot of people don't realize that emotional abuse is a domestic abuse issue. It falls under the umbrella of domestic violence. In your specific case, not to say it wasn't all abusive, were there actual violent acts? What was the nature of the abuse? Yeah, it pretty much covered across the board all the different types of abuse. It was pretty traditional in the fact that it started off with emotional abuse and psychological abuse and then eventually escalated to sexual abuse and then physical violence as well. Mm-hmm. And that's very typical. It's also very typical for it never to escalate to physical abuse. That's when women also get very confused because they're trying to figure out what's wrong. At least for me and so many other victims that I know, they went through years of emotional and psychological abuse where they couldn't quite figure it out. And then once a violent act happened, it really like helped them solidify what was happening. So my message to domestic abuse victims is to try and help them identify it long before the physical violence starts, to start identifying the emotional and psychological abuse, because that is just as dangerous to your heart and your soul as any physical thing that could happen. Do you feel like 
a lot of the emotional abuse and the psychological abuse left more damage in its wake than the physical? Definitely. Yeah, I think it's taking me still. I mean, I've been out of my relationship. It'll be four years in April. And I think things like stonewalling and gaslighting have left definitely a toll on me. And it's still something that I'm trying to heal from every day. And it's one of those things where some days I'll be great and I will kind of have the negative self-talk out of my head. And some days it just kind of comes back full force. Whereas the physical abuse for me, again, was definitely the indicator that, oh yeah, my gut was right. This is not okay. I've healed from that, I think, for sure. Yeah, that's how I am too. Quite a bit of physical intimidation, but one where I was actually injured. But the psychological and emotional abuse is definitely the most lasting for me. And for women who haven't experienced any physical violence, I want to just reiterate, you're still experiencing domestic abuse and that psychological and emotional abuse are domestic violence issues. You can't separate them out. You're never, ever going to get physical violence without emotional and psychological violence. In what ways have you shared your story? Yes, I share my story on the We Are Her blog and was able to kind of share the stories that I had written out that way. I've done the Survivor Speaker Bureau. Again, that was with five other survivors and it was at first very much to just the nonprofit that was hosting it to kind of their annual fundraiser. And so it was in front of a very supportive audience. And then that kind of grew to talking to community members about education, prevention, and awareness. And so I've become quite comfortable doing that. And so that's been a really interesting way to share my story because I've been able to shape it and tailor it depending on who the audience is. I just spoke at a symposium for medical professionals and so I was able to talk a little bit about my experience in regards to my stay at the hospital and how I was treated by the staff and kind of the signs to look for when it comes to abuse and survivors. And so it's been really interesting sharing my story that way. I also share my story to other survivors who are looking for someone to just say, hey, yeah, me too, because there's so much power in knowing that you're not going through something alone and knowing that you're able to kind of heal and grow alongside people. Why did you decide after sharing your own story to start helping survivors share their stories? And how does that help them, do you think? Yeah, I think I was incredibly lucky after I left my abuser. I really kind of sprung right into healing mode. I was fortunate enough to be able to find a therapist that I clicked with and, again, was able to write my story out and join the speaker bureau. And there were three things that I really appreciated about joining that speaker's bureau. One of them was the power to share my story and get my voice back and be able to share my truth and not feel suppressed. And the second one was connecting with all these other survivors. I think community was huge. It really kind of validated my experience, helped me know that I wasn't alone because it's so easy when you get out of these situations and abusive relationships to think, wow, this doesn't happen to anyone else. And so knowing that there were five other women, and for me, they were all older than me, and I was kind of the youngest one going through it at the time. It was just, I had a really great relationship with all of these women who were kind of like mothers or older sisters to me. 
And then the third thing I got out of being in that speakers bureau was the education aspect. So we learned a lot about domestic violence and the education that goes around it, things like the cycle of abuse and what emotional abuse looks like. And we're able to speak to that, to the audiences, and be able to not only just share our story, but incorporate different educational aspects into our story. I'm originally from a very small town in Illinois, and I'm currently living in Montana. So I was able to kind of do the speakers bureau here in Montana, but I knew that had my story happened back in my small hometown that I might not have had that same opportunity. And so I really wanted to be able to give survivors, no matter where they were, as long as they had internet access, the same opportunities that I did. So We Are Her started back in October of 2016 as just a blog so that survivors could share their stories. And we did a lot of different online ways to connect survivors together and try to do our best to do educational resources. And since then, those three components have really fueled We Are Her Forward. And so I really think that those three pieces are huge stepping blocks for any survivor. Absolutely. Now I can tell from the way that you're talking that you like the word survivor, which is awesome. I prefer the word victim, and I'll tell you why. I'm not saying this to convince you or anyone else, but the reason why I like the word victim is because survivor to me feels like you survived the Titanic or something, right? Like you got off the Titanic and the Titanic sunk and you made it to the shore and and you survived, right? So the, the harm is over. And because I share children with the man who is emotionally and psychologically abusive to me, I'm actually literally constantly a victim. Literally, I'm being victimized. So not that I allow him to victimize me anymore because I set boundaries, but I'm still technically being victimized. I'm still being lied about. I'm still being harmed through things he says and et cetera, et cetera. When I say victims, what I want to say is, that women can get to safety even though the harm might still be occurring or even if they're having a hard time getting away from the person who is emotionally abusing them because they share children or for whatever circumstance. And so the reason I don't like to call myself a survivor is because I'm like, I haven't really survived anything. I'm still currently struggling through this as safe as I can be with the boundaries that I have. What are your thoughts about that as you've talked with other survivors? Yeah, I think labels are very important for people and you kind of just have to meet people wherever they're comfortable. You know, a lot of people want to go by thriver too, I think is a popular word that's kind of surfacing in the survivor community. But yeah, labels are very personal for people. So I think whatever you want to identify as, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's your story and however you want to be identified, that is okay. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like you can thrive, you can survive. And I'm not sure if I will forever. I don't know if I'll say, oh, I'm technically a victim and I still am one, even though my life is pretty good, even though I'm doing pretty good. And actually, I'm pretty happy and grateful to have the boundaries that I have. I'm not sure if when I feel like the abuse has stopped or if it will ever stop, if I'll want to change how I think about that. But um, I do want to give people options for if survivor doesn't really speak to them or if victim doesn't speak to them or if thriver doesn't speak to them or shiro. That's another word I really like. I like the word shiro. So it just depends on you and what your personal situation is and how you see it. I think if I didn't have to have any interaction anymore with the man who emotionally abuses me, I think I would, I think I would like the word survivor. 
but since I still have that interaction, court ordered, mandated. So what are some safety tips for sharing your story for women who are interested in sharing their story, but they're not sure how to go about it or they're worried about safety? And before you share those tips, I just want all of our listeners to know, as you know, you listen to this podcast, that sharing stories is what this podcast is all about. So if you're interested in sharing your story, one option for you is to share it here on the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast. So if you're interested in sharing your story, please contact my assistant, Kari, K-A-R-I at BTR.org. Just do a little synopsis of your story and she can email you back and forth and determine if you're a good fit for us. But we love having survivors or victims or sheroes or thrivers or whatever you identify with on the podcast to share your story. So as women are thinking about sharing, Stevie, what would what are some safety tips that you would recommend? Yeah, I think it's really important to listen to your intuition and really figure out what is a safe audience for you. And sometimes that just goes with testing back and forth. You know, maybe you tell a best friend and if that goes well, then you tell a family member. And if that goes well, maybe you tell your circle of friends. I think it's really important to note that we don't always get the response that we're hoping for. I think personally, I told some family members and I was thinking I was going to get support and love and that didn't happen. And it's okay to go at your own pace. If you tell someone and you don't get a reaction that you should, that's not on you. That's on them. And if you want to take a break from sharing your story, then take a break. But if you really want to keep sharing your story, keep looking for safe outlets to do so. Tell other survivors. I think that's really important. You know, those can be really great ways to share your story because you're sharing it with someone and people who do understand because they've been through something similar and they're going to know how to support you and love you. And so I think those baby steps are really important. And if you want to get your story out there to a bigger audience, again, yeah, there are podcasts. You guys do a great job. We are her as a podcast. There are blogs. There are so many different ways. I'm sure that most local communities do have speaker bureaus now that you can join as well. Um, But it's really just listening to your gut and figuring out what do I need from sharing my story. And I know for me personally, it was I need to get my voice back. And so that was why it was so important for me to kind of have that audience with sharing my story on a blog at first, especially to there are different ways that you can share your story anonymously. And I think that that's really important as well, because you don't have to connect your name with your story. There are so many different ways that you can share your story anonymously and still feel like you're getting your voice out there. You're sharing your truth, but you're protected as well. Mm -hmm. We recommend that for almost every survivor that comes on this podcast. We recommend that they use a pseudonym just for their own protection. Before I started this podcast, I actually was public speaking about what was happening with my abuser, thinking he was in recovery from pornography addiction. And so we used our name and we spoke publicly at anti-pornography conferences and some pornography addiction recovery things. And when I found out that all of those things were lies and that I had accidentally promoted someone as a great guy when really he was a wolf in sheep's clothing, I was devastated. That was really, really hard for me to deal with. And so now having had the experience of using my real name and then now doing this, I definitely chose to use a pseudonym so that I don't have to go through that again because that was awful. So that is one thing that I definitely recommend for victims is to use a pseudonym. It's helpful to keep you safe. 
Yes, absolutely. I don't think very many non-survivors listen to this podcast. If they do, thank you. I really appreciate you listening, and I'm honored by you listening. Mostly the people that listen here are current victims of emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. Why do you think it's important for non-survivors to hear these stories of abuse? It's so important. I think awareness is huge. The more people who know what it's like to be a survivor and the intricacies of being a survivor, the better. Because then we're going to have healthier friends. We're going to have healthier family members, healthier bosses and coworkers. For me, it's always been really important to share outside of survivor groups as well. Especially too, I've been public with my story for so long that I'm not too concerned about the backlash anymore about whether people believe me or not. So I'm not necessarily trying to persuade people who don't want to believe me. I'm just trying to make sure that if there is one person out there hearing my story who needs to hear what I'm saying, that that's who my audience is. Because whether or not they're not a survivor or they are and they just don't want to come to terms with that yet, I think it's so important to make sure that we're just spreading our truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that is a very risky endeavor, right, to start sharing. The cool thing about when you start sharing is that you'll know pretty quickly if it's a safe situation or not, right? And you can kind of, I say, dip your toe in the water a little bit and see, like, is it safe to share with this person or with this group or with these people? And you'll know pretty quickly if it's safe or not. And if it's not safe, you can just back away. Our checklist, you can find it at vtr.org backslash checklist. The first step is to open up to someone safe. And then it gives a list of all the non-safe responses people might give you. And of course, it's not exhaustive. There are other non-safe responses, but those will give you a pretty good idea of someone who's not going to be a real safe person for you to confide in. And then you can move on, right? You can move on to someone who will be a little more safe. And then the more you share and the more you assess your emotional safety, the more you'll be able to identify a safe group. And I think probably in your case, but I'm not sure, don't let me put words in your mouth if this is not the case, that now you feel like your support system, not just the other survivors that you're around, but also your friends and the people that you interact with feel very safe for you. Is that the case? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you've developed that over time. So that's awesome. And that's what can come from reaching out and starting to share. Has anyone seemed safe at first and then proved to be not safe? Yeah, I think that was particularly true with my family. You know, they're family. And so obviously they get a little bit deeper level of initial trust and, and love from you. And so I think that almost hurt the most for me because... I had certain family members that were there for me when I needed to move out and make my escape plan is kind of what I called it. And then later on kind of use my story against me and kind of made me the black sheep of the family. But, you know, I think as hard as that was, I'm in a good place now where I'm definitely setting healthier boundaries and able to kind of understand what is an acceptable level of respect and love from people. And it's never easy cutting toxic family members out of your life, I don't think. But yeah, I think kind of that back and forth was super hard for me to get from family with sharing my story. But again, I think I've been public with my story for so long now, too, that I'm able to take that a little bit better. Definitely. Yep. The longer that you go with 
either no abuse happening in your life anymore and the more healing you get under your belt or in my case the longer I go with setting pretty strict boundaries to keep me safe from the harm the stronger we get and that is the awesome part about healing is that it does take time and it does take effort and I highly recommend that women join a network of support like betrayal trauma recovery group for example that runs multiple times a day in every woman's time zone, which is awesome. So in addition to support and sharing, just knowing that you're going to get stronger and stronger as time goes on. That's what we want for every woman. I was talking to someone the other day and he said, oh, so BTR is just a women's empowerment organization. And I said, yeah, you could call it that. Definitely is. We want every woman to know that she is important and that she's cared about and that she's loved and that she doesn't deserve to be harmed. So before we conclude today, can you talk about the beginning of your relationship? Can you talk about maybe the grooming that took place or the red flags that you dismissed maybe because you didn't understand abuse at the time? Can you share some of that part of the situation and then how later, how that felt looking back? Yeah, of course. I, like I said, I'm originally from a small town in Illinois. And so I met my abuser when I first moved to Montana. And I always say that isolation is huge for survivors, but that was kind of the first big hurdle that he didn't have to cross because I didn't have any family or friends in this new state. And so I think already I was kind of vulnerable just because I didn't know anybody. And so it's so much harder when your gut is telling you one thing, but you don't have anybody else that you trust to kind of bounce those thoughts and feelings off of with. And so initially I kind of had a lot of red flags. He was very jealous. That didn't sit well with me. He also was very quick to say things like, I love you. And I remember when he said that, I was like, oh, I don't feel that way yet. It's been like a month or two. This is very fast. He reacted very negatively to the fact that I wouldn't say it back. And I was like, I just don't want to lie to you. So things like love bombing were, were pretty frequent at the beginning. It made it that much harder when the love bombing stopped because he kind of like yanked that away from me. And all of a sudden it went from, wow, at the beginning of a relationship, all you could do is shower me with compliments and say how much you love me. And now I'm not getting any of that. And so things like that were really big. And arguing with him was very hard. He would very much make me feel like I overreacted to everything and that my reactions were not valid and that he didn't say or do whatever was brought up. And then I also felt very intimidated. There were little things throughout our relationship where he would remind me about other women that he had dated and kind of the things that he had done to them as soon as they had left him. And so I remember being only a couple months in and being like, oh, he's already letting me know kind of the ways that he's hurt other women. If I leave, what is he going to do to me? Were you aware of any pornography? I don't know if I was aware, but at first anyway, but as our relationship progressed, I think, yeah, I definitely knew that that was a thing for him. Sure. Did you find that to be a sign of abuse or was it like, oh, everybody does this? How did you feel about it at the time? Yeah, you know, I don't know that that was ever a super issue for me. I don't know that I cared one way or the other. Yeah, I don't know that that was something that was at the forefront of my mind. So you weren't super concerned about the porn use per se. That wasn't necessarily a red, red flag for you. No. Interesting. 
Yeah. It's interesting to me because women who don't like porn or, or that is an issue for them, they don't recognize the emotional abuse maybe or the psychological abuse. When they find out about the porn use, they know something's seriously wrong because they know this is a person who has told me he's not going to use porn. We've talked about, you know, that sort of thing. So the level of lying there gets really intense. But he was lying to you about other things or no? Yeah, definitely. You know, and it came out that he was definitely cheating on me. And I think I had always had that in the back of my mind. And when that came out, that was huge for me as well. And eventually there was some financial abuse in our relationship and um, all of that definitely hurt. You know, I was always very proud of my career and the fact that I was the first person in my family to graduate and get a degree. And so when he put my career in jeopardy too, that was the biggest red flag for me. That was just something I couldn't forgive. You were doing amazing work. Thank you so much for sharing your story on our podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. We're so grateful to all survivors, victims who share their story on this podcast. If you would like to share your story, please email my assistant, Kari, K-A-R-I at BTR.org. I want to hear your story and everyone else wants to hear it. This is a great place for you to share. If this podcast has been helpful to you, we really appreciate your monthly support. Go to our website, BTR.org and scroll down to the bottom and click on support the podcast. Similarly, your reviews help so much. So please go to iTunes or your other podcasting apps and give this podcast a rating. Also, an explanation of why you love it is helpful. Similarly, when you purchase Trauma Mama Husband Drama, the book on Amazon, leave an Amazon rating. Every single one of your interactions helps women who are isolated find us. We also have some of you who are posting these articles from our website. You're sharing them on Facebook or Twitter or other social media platforms. You might be sharing some of our infographics on Pinterest. We so appreciate you helping us get the word out. This is a new concept that pornography use is an abuse issue and that it needs to be talked about within this context. So your help getting the word out will make a difference to a woman who needs to hear it. And until next week, stay safe out there.